Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 87, First Sounds of Gunfire. Going to continue the follow-up investigation. Some booties are on the line with these memos we're going to see. Piece of paper here. It's called a log sheet. This is what Memphis police officer fills out when he gets ready to start his tour of duty. This is the one that Bobby Hester and Race Will filled out. I don't know who actually filled it out. It's, it's pretty neat handwriting on here. You can certainly tell I didn't do it. I write like a serial killer. As you can see at the top left, it's R.S. Hester 3434. That's his IBM number or identification number. And then R.O. Swill, 7939. Then you got the date and the shift, assignment, 128. And vehicle condition, top right, fare. The P number or the vehicle they were assigned was 362. Starting mileage, 12,014 miles. And then you see here, Proved by, it's got the lieutenant's initials. Then, towards the middle, you've got scene time, location, type of call. It's radioactivity, time in, disposition, arrest, enforcement, defendant, ticket number. Now, you got, you see all the calls. That first one with the scene time, the X across it, that's just showing they were checking their vehicle. And then after that, they got their call, suspicious person, alarm, another alarm, suspicious person, mental case, three more alarms, and then that last one for the for Shannon Street, that was a complaint. And you can see the times on all of them. Now they're showing scene time was marked down at uh, 2105, so 9.05 p.m. is what time they arrived. And I'm sorry, the the actual call times are cut off on this sheet. It's not intentional. Anyways, that's what it looks like. Alright, this is a City of Memphis Center Office memo. This is the first uh-oh memo. And this memo is from Inspector Ivy, North Precinct, to Deputy Chief Tom Marshall, Chief of Operations, February 10th, 1983. And it says, Attached Memos, which indicates that uh, Inspector Ivy is sending this memo, but there are some other memos to follow from other people involved. Resulting from information heard immediately following the tactical assault at 2239 Shannon relative to actions on the part of family members of persons who were in the house at the time of the assault, the hereto attached has been submitted. This information was requested of Lieutenant Moore and Rogers, who at the time of the assault had the assignment of keeping all parties who were present in the school in place until the assault was completed and all was clear. 
Captain T.C. Hasty of the security squad wanted this information in connection with their investigation. Now, let me tell you something right here, folks. Somebody got upset with somebody. Now, the people in the school, there were reporters. There were off-duty police officers and on-duty police officers. There were the family members of those in the house. And this tells me that somebody was naughty. Now, I do know that family members kind of uh, got overly excited, a little upset once the explosions and the echo and the gunshot started. I don't know what police officers were doing inside there or the reporters, but it tells me that somebody thinks there was some chaos inside the school and they're looking for somebody to blame it on. All right. City of Memphis in our office memo. This one is to James Ivey, North Precinct Inspector from J.D. Moore, Lieutenant C-Shift. So Lieutenant Moore is victim number one. Date February 10th, 1983. Cult family members at Shannon Members School. Okay. You can tell Lieutenant Moore knows he's getting ready to get hammered. He got his subject line kind of out of kilter there. On January 13, 1983, at approximately 0230 hours, I was given the assignment of making sure no off-duty officer left the school during the tactical unit assault. Which is probably a good idea since there's bullets flying. We do know at least three bullets from the tank unit went through the wall of the northeast bedroom thank goodness the van was sitting there because the van absorbed those three rounds as far as we know or they would have went over there across to the school possibly all off-duty officers were sent to a classroom on the northeast side of the building in order to stay there until the assault was over two classrooms down the hall some cult family members were also housed i bet that went over like a ton of bricks at 0300 hours, as the first sounds of gunfire were heard inside the building, family members became hysterical and several attempted to leave the classroom by the windows. And I'm sure that's windows in the old days, like when I went to school and they kind of halfway pushed down and out. I'm sure that would have been something trying to climb out one of them. As continuous gunfire was heard, some of the females in the room were heard screaming derogatory remarks at the police in the hallway and the police in general. Well, now, I can't imagine family members not being upset if they hear gunshots knowing the police are in there killing their relatives. I might, I might scream out a couple of derogatory comments myself. All right, none of the family members made exit through the windows, and several off-duty officers were allowed to go outside and secure the windows. So that's what part of the hubbub is. You've got some of these supervisors. I don't know if Specter Hasty's one of them, but uh, they got nothing else better to do, so they're going to sit here and harangue the police for trying to keep family members in. So that's probably part of the problem. They saw police outside the school at the windows. 
And the reason they went out there is to keep those family members from getting through and running to the house. I wonder what Inspector Hasty and some of these other command staff personnel would have thought of family members had to run up into the yard and try to get inside the house. I bet that would have caused an issue, huh? Then who would you have blamed it on? You'd been mad at the police again. Well, here it is. We've got one of the most horrific events, well, probably the most horrific event, at least in the top two or three, and we've got command staff worried about cursing family members and police trying to keep them inside the classroom as they were ordered to do. Amazing. Simply amazing. In fact, let me let me add something to, to this this waste of oxygen that Inspector Hasty or whoever's behind it over such a trivial matter. If they were so sharp, then they should have known that family members might get upset. Just throwing that out there, spitballing here. So if they knew they were getting ready to hit the place, I mean, they only had 30 hours, right? Why didn't they get all the family members, bring a couple of buses around? They could have brought them around over there on the northwest side, walked the family members out the back, single file, put them on the buses, and drove them away from the scene. Okay, They could use city buses, school buses, whatever they wanted. Put them on there, ship them out an hour or so before they get ready to hit the house. But no, let's don't do that. Let's just leave them in there knowing they're going to hear it and knowing they're going to be upset and then start pointing fingers at the police. Amazing. They just, this is just so, so amazing. All right, here we go. Victim number two. Inner office memo, Inspector James Ivey, North Precinct, from J.J. Rogers, Lieutenant C-Shift, February 9, 1983. Well, looks like uh, Lieutenant Rogers, he, he wrote his a day early. All right, January 13, 1983, at approximately 2.30 a.m., the writer was assigned by... Chief Inspector J.D. Moore on a detail inside Shannon Elementary School to stay with the news media and to maintain strict security of the area by keeping all the media people inside until the assault at 2239 Shannon was complete and secure. The media was very cooperative in doing what was requested of them. Well, there's a shocker right there. When the shooting started at the residence, the sounds were easily audible inside the school, and the room next to where the media was located housed the families of the perpetrators at 2239 Shannon. See, another great planning by the command staff. So you're going to put the media right there by the family who are going to hear their family members being killed. That's just amazing. Immediately upon hearing the first shot, several members of family, mostly female, began yelling and screaming. Threats and obscenities against officers came from numerous females inside the room. 
At one point, several of the younger females attempted to crawl out windows of the room in an attempt to get out of the school and, of course, immediately run to the house. One unidentified female was heard repeatedly shouting that she would kill all you MFs and other epithets of this nature. I bet there were some epithets. Eventually, after the shooting stopped and the all-clear was given, the family members seemingly calmed down and were allowed to leave the schoolroom. You see, folks, we uh, police don't have time to go catch criminals. They're too busy writing memos explaining stupid stuff. But anyways, on with the story. Two Chief A.L. Williams, Deputy Director of Police Services. By the way, this is a City of Memphis Interoffice Memorandum. This is from Deputy Chief J.D. Moore, Special Operations Commander, June 2nd, 1983. Wow, June 2nd. Okay, hostage situation, 2239 Shannon. January 12, 1983, at 2 a.m., I attended a staff meeting in the cafeteria of Shannon School with Director Holt and other members of the police department staff, at which time I reported to Director Holt and staff of hearing what sounded like someone being beaten and screams coming from 2239 Shannon. I also reported that myself, along with members of the tax squad, had heard what sounded like hammering inside the house at 2239 Shannon. And after discussing this with members of the tax squad, we believed the people inside the house were barricading the house. These facts were given to the staff present at this meeting for consideration along with other facts in deciding what course of action to take at this time. All right, folks, what this is, this is Chief Moore, Special Operations. That means he's over the TAC unit, amongst other things, as a chief. And what this memo is, this is a memo reminding Chief Holt, I'm sorry, Director Holt and the command staff, specifically the members of the command staff that voted with the director not to go in. This is letting them know that by 2 a.m., so you're talking about Hester, Bobby Hester's been inside the house for five hours at this time. And this little memo here is for the record, that Chief Moore told everybody in the staff meeting they're beating Bobby Hester, and it sounds like they're barricading the house. Two facts there that should have, have had some importance, especially the beating Bobby Hester part. Now, I appreciate Chief Moore writing this. I guess... Chief Moore was just, I can't even imagine how disgusted he was with what was going on. With them not going in, because he knew what was going on. He knew the score. He knew what these staff meetings, these votes by staff meeting, he knew exactly what all this was. He knew what was going on. He knew this was just a stall tactic, just an excuse not to go in. But he's going on the record with this little memo here. I'll bet you he kept a... But he kept the uh, the original. 
This is just him going on record saying, you know what? I told them. I told them what was going on, and we should have went in. Because that's what this says. This memo says, I told you we should have went in. I wanted to go in. Y'all didn't want to go in. Now what are you going to do? Now go sleep at night. That's exactly what this memo is here. Thank you, Chief Moore. Glad somebody showed a little intestinal fortitude. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. See, you thought all this follow-up was just going to be a bunch of old boring stuff. You see, there is still some good stuff. Still some good stuff in these files. Uh, this is a good episode here. We get to we get to see a couple of lieutenants getting raked over the coals. Get to see a chief stand up and say, you know what, you guys are wrong. Y'all are wrong. All right, folks, we've had enough. We'll be back in a few days. We'll continue on. Till then, I'll see you down the road.